My name is Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now, this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which time public worship has been disrupted. We don't have it every Sunday. Therefore, all sermons have been recorded ahead of time to make them available online. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture is NRSV, used under the gratis policy of the copyright holder, the National Council of Churches. The Holy Gospel, according to St. Luke, 17th chapter. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. Every time I read or hear about the ten lepers, I think about the same thing. And unfortunately, this first thought is not a good one. When Martin Luther, the founder of our religious tradition here as Lutherans, when he was young and enthusiastic, he thought that the whole world would be brought around to his way of seeing things. If only they knew. You know how we are when we're young and enthusiastic. He figured if they were just exposed to it, just by merely exposing them to the gospel in their own language, to uh, the promises of God's mercy, forgiveness, grace, and so on, Luther figured there wouldn't be a soul left on earth who was not a believing Christian. So he commissioned the first mass printing in a common language of the Bible. And he also did so with a Koran. He believed that anyone who already believed in God, such as Muslims and Jewish folks, need only read or hear each religion's holy text, and they would be compelled, they would be brought around to Jesus. But things didn't go quite like that. So as he got older, his enthusiasm was replaced with cynicism and hostility. Now, some have tried to blame this on a disease or something, but... We can't say for sure. All we know is that Luther's anti-Semitism, and really anti-anything that wasn't Christian Protestantism, it only increased as the years went by. And in his final years, it was quite vitriolic. So in a Lenten series, he preached on this very gospel text about the lepers. And though it was quite a long sermon, there wasn't much to it beyond that vitriol. He interpreted and presented it such that the lepers who carried on their way without coming back to thank Jesus for what he had done for them were like the Jewish folks who had rejected the gospel. He thought of it as a bit of an allegory. 
And now that applied to Jesus's day all the way up through Luther's day. He figured all the Jewish people in all that time could be summarized by these nine lepers. Now that's bananas. I mean, that's a pretty bananas way to read this text. I mean, for one, those who didn't turn back, they did as they were told to do. Jesus told them to go get checked out by the priests. They were the sort of medical inspectors, examiner sorts, who would decide if you were healthy enough to be fully reintegrated into the temple and into society in other ways. So Jesus commends the one who goes above and beyond, taking the time to stop and say thanks, and he's a bit surprised to find it's a foreigner, a non-Jewish person. But the others did what he told them to do. And much of the early church was, in fact, Jewish. The church in Jerusalem was in many ways the home base that led to the movement, led to Paul, to Thomas, and others going out to the world of foreigners, Gentiles. For two, a second reason why that's kind of a bananas way to read this text is Jesus has several encounters with Pharisees and so on in which he affirms the pious, the righteous, the Jewish person who's dutiful in their traditions. Think of the widow giving the two coins. Remarks like, you don't go to the doctor if you're not sick, and you don't rejoice over sheep that haven't been lost. Sheep that are already present don't warrant the same kind of reaction. It's the people who are in need, because their lives are off track or they're suffering some injustice, who they themselves have wandered off, and so on. Those are the people who hold God's attention, the people for whom Jesus says he came to save and to find the lost. Luther's take is off the mark because Jesus doesn't condemn being Jewish, but rather he affirms it in most cases and offers a new covenant, not as a replacement for any other covenant, but in the same way the previous covenants were offered. A new, distinct way of relating to God for a distinct group of people. If God did not continue to honor the covenants with the Jewish people, we would not be able to safely trust God to honor the covenant with us through Christ. If God all of a sudden, through new requirements, born of, let's say, a new revelation, decided to change the terms of a covenant, <laughs> we would be in serious trouble. We couldn't depend on God to stick to God's word if requirements were changing, and we couldn't know for sure who to listen to if new revelations were sent. Instead, Jesus' encounter with the lepers is something almost the opposite of what Luther's hostility led him to profess. This is an encounter that once again reveals God's concern for the outcast and the downtrodden. Jesus didn't have to pass by these out-of-the-way, borderlands-type communities. He didn't have to give these outcasts the time of day. Yet their plea for mercy was enough to prompt mercy. And without any requirements of gratitude or restitution, no requirements that they do this or that, they were healed. That's a message about grace. God's grace is unwarranted, unearned, undeserved, not just in that we have 
failed to in some way, like those nine, those 10 had messed up, but in that we are utterly incapable of doing such good that we might have saved ourselves from, you name it, chaos, death, disease, or damnation. The trust that Jesus is the answer prompted a plea for mercy, and Jesus saw that faith and acted. The second part of the message is then clear enough. What do we do with that grace? We, by our words and actions, should demonstrate gratitude. We name the source. We go back to God in worship and praise and offering and in thanks. And then turn back into the world because that's what Jesus would then call us to do. Whether we do that properly or not, as to surprise Jesus himself, is not a matter of, what, ancestry? <laughs> by nationality, ethnicity, religion, or any other distinction being made here. By Luther, within the text, between Judeans, Galileans, Samaritans. God sees us for who we are, irrespective of those human definitions and those arbitrary boundaries. God is not looking for excuses or exclusions. God does not want us to figure out who the nine are or turn this parable into some sort of allegory from, to explain what? To turn the nine into fodder for some contemporary debate or conflict, as though our group is the one and your group is the nine. The Spirit empowers you to trust in God and moves you to cry out for mercy. Were any of the ten. Upon finding the love of God in Christ Jesus, the triune God sends you out into the world. Your faith has made you well, well enough to do some good in the world. So get up and go on your way. Jesus calls us, grants mercy, and sends us on. Doesn't matter which of the ten we are. Now the best thing to do is to go back and worship and praise and giving, thanksgiving and offerings, I suppose. But either way, God's love abounds. So go in peace. Love as Christ first loved us. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end here, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio of my sermons does not always include proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study. I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave. Some credit is due to at least one of those sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other and have a great rest of the week.